Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast and Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thank you very much for doing that. I have a special guest for you today on 1078B. I guess we're in our 20... First year, nearing, uh, I guess, the midpoint of that 21st year. Um, and early on, probably in the first 10 years of doing this, my buddy in doing it was Jim Graham. He's going to join us today um, and we'll talk about his new career. But before I do that, I want to tell you that we are sponsored by Life's First Naturals. Life'sFirstNaturals.com is how you find their products. True Biotics, a probiotic, and bovine colostrum, the one I love because it is a pill product that gives me protection when I exercise too hard, which I want to do three times a week as I try to um, keep my age, my real age, as young as possible. Life'sFirstNaturals.com. Um, we're talking to uh, Jim Graham, who got into a new career after he left me. Um, Jim, um, thanks very much for coming on. I should tell them... Oh, I, no, I'd like to thank you for having me, and I'd like to thank Radio MD for the opportunity to get this information out because so many people are not aware of some of the help they can get. Go ahead, Mike. So I met Jim first um, at a baseball game in Syracuse, New York. Um, We both had season tickets to the Sky Chiefs, and here was a guy who had heart problems who I saw come into the stadium with hot dogs, I think they were cheese uh, fries and uh, a beer. Now, the beer was the healthy part of it. Um, But the red meat, the simple sugar, and uh, the fried uh, food was not healthy for his heart. And that's how we got to be friends when I tried to do an intervention on him. And uh, after that, we did uh, a lot of Radio MD together. But what got you into bereavement counseling, Jim? Because we'll say that you work at a hospice as a volunteer. Uh, yes. Uh, as you know, in, uh, oh, in early 12, or middle uh, 2012, uh, my wife, Helen, of 40-some years, had uh, developed lung cancer. And I was a caregiver for two, two and a half years with her. And then, sadly, on May 20th of 15, she passed away. Um, I did a foolish thing at the beginning, uh, Mike, I I have to admit. I kind of locked myself away for about four months. Uh, I I didn't talk to anybody. I I was so depressed and so I just, I couldn't handle it. And finally, finally, I got enough nerve to go to hospice. They, They took care of Helen when she was ill. But I finally got enough courage, and it takes courage to do this, to admit you need help. I went up there, and I spoke to a wonderful, wonderful lady. And uh, she put me on a counselor, 
and he put me on a group that I could go to, and uh, that's what got me started in this. At first, it was all about me, Mike, it, it, and it always is, and it, and, it, and it happens to everybody, and they all handle this in a different way. But uh, so, Jim. Yes, Jim. Let me let me interrupt you. So, um, this started with you needing help. Absolutely. How long did you How long did you go before you started saying, "I can help other people"? Uh, it probably took me about after I started, probably another five months, four or five months, because what happened was is. I went in originally, like I said, saying to myself, Jimmy, boy, poor Jimmy, poor Jimmy. But then I started seeing other people in the group that I was in, and they were in the same boat I was. And I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about poor me? How about poor uh, Joe or poor Alice over there? My God, they're having a terrible... I decided, you know what, and slowly but surely, I decided, I said, I'm going to stay in this group and see if I can facilitate and, and keep the group going and, and help these other people, which is very, very gratifying, Mike. Now, uh, Jim, so you, you do this, and one of the things you told me you learned along the way where there were five words you can never say when you're doing bereavement counseling. What are those five oh, yeah. words? Those, those five words is, are, I know how you feel. Uh, because you don't know how you feel. Uh, I once read a book called uh, The Gift, and I wrote a little uh, paragraph on it, and it reminded me of an old TV show called uh, Naked City, and the first line in the Naked City was, there are 8 million stories in the Naked City, you were about to see one of them, and this is true with grieving and death among people, there are billions of stories, and every one of them are different, so we they all have to be handled different. Now, Jim, tell us, do you still... You still do group or do you do individual bereavement? And is it? I do individual and group. I do individual through hospice, and I do. I'm a facilitator in a uh, in a group session also. And tell us about how does how does someone first? How do you get someone to understand when they need help versus just uh, isolate? That's an excellent, excellent, excellent question. First of all. First of all, uh, generally speaking, through the hospice organization, uh, I am I'm pointed at somebody. So they have already asked for me or to have somebody try, you know help them at their home. Generally, I go to their home uh, during the uh, the, the uh, uh, sessions, the uh, group sessions. Uh, we put an ad in the paper, and people know it's there. And if they decide they need help, they come in. And uh, that's how we get started. And, uh, Jim, so in the group sessions, how many people are in the group? Is it 2? Is it 10? Is it 20? Do you know what's a, what's the right size group? Uh, we have had as many, <laughs> this is hard to believe, 
Uh, we have a two-hour session, and sometimes we've, I, we've had as many as 20, 21, 22 people in a session. And I know your next question is going to be, how do you get everybody involved? What we do is we go around the table, and you don't have to talk now. Remember that. that That's the one thing. And everything is confidential. Nothing leaves the room. You always tell that ahead of time. Okay. We go around the table, and they give the reason why they are there. And then we go from there. We start around again. They tell, they, they relate their story, and we go on to the next people, if they can talk. If you don't want to talk, you don't have to. And then when they give their story... What are the other, I mean, is it, it's, I assume it's interactive. What are the other people doing? Ah, that's exactly right, Mike. You hit it right on the head. Uh, one of the rules is we don't kibitz among each other while somebody else is talking. Everything, everything is, is centered on the person that is talking. They will not, they should not, uh, monopolize time. And uh, that's exactly right. And once we go around the table and the stories are out, then we individualize. Somebody will say, ask somebody else, well, uh, Joe, how how did you feel after this happened? And and Joe will tell them, and the rest of the table will kind of get involved. You're right. We mix mix it in together. And uh, it, it generally turns out, very helpful because everybody is is suffering the same thing, but in a different way with different feelings. Some people, you know, they uh, they relate very quickly. You know, they can pick up on other people too. So, in the individual setting, um, I imagine there are some really um, uh, tough um, yeah. things that happen. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, uh, a lot of times, uh, uh, you're talking in the group now, right? Yes. Okay, in the group, yes. There's uh, uh, some of the some of the terrible things. Is one of the most terrible things is family members that can't relate to the death of the person, and and make it tough on 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 the on the spouse or the surviving, you know, member of the family, uh, those are those are some of the toughest things to handle. Um, I always say to people, when they find people that are depressing to them, be they a friend, be they a family member, you don't need people around you to keep you in that mood. And I... I, I, this is kind of silly, but um, I always tell them, just put them in your rear view mirror, and as you drive down that highway of life that you are going to continue with, you will survive. You're doing fine. That, that bad part will disappear over the hill, and you'll find that you'll feel much better. I don't know if that sounds kind of odd to you, but if you eliminate a bad part, you know, you just you, you just can't follow up with with people that just keep you in a depressed mood, especially when you're when you're trying to survive something else. 
what happens is um, physicians can tell when someone's depressed because it makes them depressed. Is that true with the bereavement process as well? Yes, the very same thing. The very same thing. Depressions, I think, is, and that's and that's part of this whole thing, is the depression. You want to avoid the depression as much as you can. So let's go back to your story. You were really depressed when you started in this group. Oh, how, I was. I was. How did you get? How did you get out of it, or how did someone get you out of it? By doing what I don't do very often, as you well know by listening and not running my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) People, uh, I learned to listen, believe it or not, Mike. Uh, I learned to sit and let people talk. Sometimes when I'm in a single, when I'm in a single in somebody's house, I've walked in, sat down, and we've said hi, and uh, started a little bit, and then silence. Sometimes not say anything for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But sometimes silence is golden, and you think, and people can relate to that. You know, there is a, there is a song called Silence is Golden, right? Frankie Valli sings it. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I don't yeah. know who, who started it or Frankie Valli did. Uh, most of his songs are upbeat. So... Um, Let's keep going. So silence, and then uh, what happens to break the silence? Well, a lot of times, uh, uh, the the my uh, the uh, I don't like to use the uh, okay the family member. I don't like the word patient. Uh, family member, spouse, or survivor uh, will ask me a question. Sometimes they'll say, "You know, Jimmy." I feel like this. And I say, well, so what? And and they'll say, well, should I feel that way? I says, I can't tell you how to feel. If you feel that way, that's the way you feel. You know, what do you think you can do to help it? And so so basically you're you're basically taking the role of a friend who is listening and helping and just listening to someone uh, express their stress, being vulnerable to you. That's exactly right. Um, I sit there and, and, and you know, I, during this COVID thing, they tried to have me do some of these over the phone to the, the people, and I didn't care for it because when you sit across the table from somebody, Mike, and, and you look them in the eye... They, there's just something about looking at somebody and watching their lips quiver or their body shake, and they look back at you, they know you care. There's no faking this stuff, Mike. You walk into somebody's house that has just lost a loved one, and I've done it many times, especially with some of the people that I, 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 I've been uh, taking care of. Well, you know, I'm a volunteer, and the people go out. They ask for me to come in. Now, a lot of these people I knew before, and it hurts me as much as it does them. 
but it's not about me. It's about them, and they know that. And that's and that's what I try to convey to these people. And once they understand that, they will open up, and that is terrific. And you know, once they open up and start talking, and then things start flowing out, flowing out. They'll tell you things. They know it won't go anyplace else, and that's great. And I, I have to say, Mike. One of the things that gives me the most pleasure when I'm working with these people, individual or in the group, is when I see a person who has come in so bad and all of a sudden, one day, they smile. And that's exactly what I say to them. I say, you know, hey, Larry. You know what you just did? And he'll look at me and I'll say, no. I say, you just smiled. What do you think about that? And and that that is the warmest feeling you would ever want to know, Mike. And I'm feeling feeling a little emotional right now because I remember doing some of this. Well, let me get you to a different subject then. And I'm going to end on a baseball subject, very different ah, than baseball. what we've been. Um, but you uh, understand uh, baseball, I know, to a great degree. So I wanted to ask, um, baseball looks like it's headed for a strike. Um, uh-huh. Will it have a strike or will it get out of it? What's your betting on baseball? Well, in 1994... Uh, they had the strike that cost the Expos you know, a World Series title and everything else, or maybe. Uh, I think I think they're going to come right up to the doorstep and they're going to make a deal. Because don't forget, in 94, uh, there was an incident. I'm not sure if it was the earthquake or what it was. Uh, one of those years in in San Francisco, and uh, that that kind of saved baseball. I think I, I I'm not sure there was something that came up that saved the game. But I uh, I think that in 1994 the the game almost almost destroyed itself through the players union and the strike that. Uh, that ended that season because a lot of people I had I had I had several T-shirts that had a glove on it, and I, I'm not going to tell you uh, how the glove was positioned, but it said on it it said thank you for the '94 season. Um, so I'm just going to leave it right there. I think they're going to I think they're going to stop right at the beginning, Mike. Um, and on that, that's an optimistic note, which I love. Um, and thank you for what you do in bereavement counseling, in especially in this difficult time of the pandemic, and in group therapy, again, in this very difficult time. So you uh, deserve multiple stars, Jim. I don't deserve a thing, Mike. It's the people, it's the people that show up. You have to have courage. Courage is the key word. If you don't have the courage to step up and admit you need help, you're always going to need help. You have to step up to the plate. Hey, we just talked about baseball, Larry. Step up to the plate or you're not going to get a hit. 
they don't have a chance. Well, thank you for coming on. I know um, this is difficult, but thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll get resolution to the baseball season and people will think of uh, stepping up to the plate to get help for themselves. And I think, you know, it's, it's probably even more difficult uh, for men to do this who... Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm surprised. You're absolutely right. I was going to bring that subject up about men coming in. Women, there's more women in our groups than there are men. And men, and, and, and men tend to shy away. Uh, they're afraid to cry in public. And that's another thing that, never mind, you want to cry, you cry. Do what you, do what you need to do when you're in the group to help yourself. Crying, crying, crying is a cleanser, Mike. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. This is 1078B. Bs are always the guest segments um, where I learn an awful lot. And thank you, Jim Graham um, from upstate New York and the uh, hospice up in upstate New York for being so nice to do this. We're going to get back to you during the baseball season to see how accurate you are as well as to talk to you about it. But remember, we are sponsored, and that's who lets us bring these great guests to you, by Life's First Naturals, the makers of True Biotics and of Bovine Colostrum. 2,000 milligrams of that Bovine Colostrum is what I take every day to help me have a better gut. That combined with True Biotics, a wonderful combination LiceFirstNaturals.com, wonderful at least for me, hopefully for you too. And thanks to Jim Graham, and especially thanks to Caitlin, who's our engineer um, who tolerates all the errors I make. Thanks again. We'll be back next week.